Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Dory Clark, and we're going to explore how to stand out in a world that is very, very crowded. You're really going to enjoy this show. By the way, if you want to contact me, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com, go straight to my email inbox. And before I get to today's discovery, I want to let you know, I just got back from a family vacation to Disneyland. And we stayed in the Disneyland Hotel, and it was really interesting to see in the room that we were in all these pictures of Walt Disney, black and white pictures of him walking down the streets of Disneyland, either while it was being built or when there was no one else there. And I kind of reflected on the fact that Disney was actually an older guy when he started Disneyland. As a matter of fact, he was born in 1901, and Disneyland didn't open until 19. 19- 55. So he was 54 years old when he started Disneyland. And you could argue that Disneyland was obviously a key thing, one of his key accomplishments, because that allowed people to experience in real life a lot of the things that they'd experienced on the screen. He only lived to the age of 65. So he only got to see 10 years of that journey, but he was definitely not a young guy. Now, I'm telling you this because people like me and people like you that are not necessarily young, I'm 46, I don't know how old you are, but the moral of the story is if Walt Disney can start something as phenomenal as Disneyland in his 50s, what can you do regardless of what your age is? I think it's a really inspiring story to encourage all of us that have been around for a little while to realize it's not too late to pursue our dreams. It's not too late to go after what our ultimate maybe mission in life is and perhaps has not yet been accomplished. So I think you're going to love today's show because Dory's going to talk about how to stand out in this noisy world and we all have our special gifts and talents and I think you're going to really love it. With that, let's transition over to this week's discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. Very excited to be joined today by Eric Fisher, who has a new discovery that he wants to share with us. What'd you find, Eric? Well, Mike, this week I have found Noisly. That's N-O-I-S-L-I. And what it is, it is is more much more than just a white noise generator. It is an, an a sound environment creator. I know that sometimes I love, you know, focus at will. I think you've shared that before. Sure. We even used it at Social Media Marketing World. But this is another version of something like that. It's not music. It's, you know, sounds of rain, sounds of white noise, different oscillating fans. And you can combine all of those different ones, including, you know, cafe sounds, library sounds. And so you can get that that combination or change of sound environment so that it doesn't feel like you're sitting in your office or your home office all day when you're working on your projects. Huh. Really interesting. What is it called again? Noisly. And uh, is it free? Is it 
pay? Are there certain ones that are included for free and others that are paid? What, what's your thoughts on it? They're all free. You can find it on the web at noisly.com. Again, that's N-O-I-S-L-I.com. You can get it there free across all major web browsers. There's also apps there that you can click through to get for different ones. I didn't check if they had Android, but I know they have uh, iOS. And actually, even Macs, you can have it built in and not have to use your web browser to make it work. It's interesting because like when my kids were really, really little, we downloaded an app that had, you know, rain and birds and a couple things in it that we would turn on and we would just play it in the room to get, you know, our daughters to fall asleep. Yeah. But, but, you know, the upside to using this from a business perspective is pretty significant. For example, if you work in a cubicle or you work at home and the kids are screaming in the background, or even you just work somewhere where there's noise around you that, you know, is, is distracting. Or even if you work in an environment where there's no noise and you mm-hmm. need noise, like I'm one of those kind of guys that needs noise for my brain to activate. Yeah, me too. So interesting. So have, how, yeah. have you, how have you been using it? Well, what's great is, yeah, I, I've actually switched it up. I've created what the cool, one of the cool features is, is actually you can combine different sounds together. So you can add maybe a little bit of rain, a little bit of white noise, a little bit of uh, coffee shop ambience, and you can create those different um, levels to those different um, sound inputs, I guess is the best way to put it. And then you can save those as presets. So then I've set up a couple different presets, one for maybe first thing in the morning, one that I turn on uh, after lunch that's kind of a more noisier, louder, high energy, like, okay, let's sit down and get back to work kind of a, a feel. So hmm. Very really cool. interesting. Very cool. All right. Well, it's N. O-I-S-L-I.com. Did I say that right? That's right. Eric, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I think I'm going to give it a try. All right. Have fun. Let me know how it works. And now let's transition over to that awesome interview with Dory Clark. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined today by Dory Clark. If you don't know who Dory is, she's the author of Reinventing You, And she's also an adjunct professor at Duke University. In addition, she's a consultant and a speaker. And her clients include Google and Microsoft. I'm sure brands you probably have heard of. Her latest book is called Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Dory, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks for having me. So today, Dory and I are going to explore how to stand out in this crazy, noisy, ever-changing online world. But before we do that, Dory, I want to start with a little bit of your story. Um, How in the world did you get here? You know, what got you to want to write a book about standing out in a noisy world? Well, it was definitely a a problem that I wanted to solve for myself. Um, I started my consulting business nine years ago after having a pretty eclectic career, which was uh, really the the inspiration for my first book, Reinventing You. I had gone to graduate school for theology, and then I was a political reporter and got laid off and lost my job, and uh, I ended up working in politics, uh, first as a spokesperson on a gubernatorial campaign, and then as a presidential campaign spokesperson. Person, and then I ran a nonprofit, and so I did all of these things, and then finally, nine years ago, uh, started to do what I do now in terms of uh, marketing strategy, consulting, and, and writing and speaking. And through all of this, I, I realized that more and more people are reinventing themselves, and so I, I wrote Reinventing You to try to capture best practice. 
practices and a roadmap for other professionals so that folks could hopefully do that easier and better than I did as I was fumbling through. Mm. But the next challenge that I realized was that once you find the place where you want to make your mark, once you say, okay, this is it, this is where I want to be. And for me, that, that was the work in marketing strategy and writing and speaking. Then it becomes, how do you actually get known uh, in that field? How do you become a recognized expert? And so I wanted to learn from the best. And so I embarked upon this quest, uh, interviewing about 50 top thought leaders, um, many of whom are folks that your listeners will be familiar with, like Seth Godin or Daniel Pink or David Allen from Getting Things Done fame, uh, and also folks from a variety of different fields to try to figure out how did they become known? How did they come up with their breakthrough ideas and then build a following around them. I love this. I mean, first of all, I love the fact that you're coming at this from a research angle because it seems that it seems that those people that really tend to write books that are based on interviewing experts seem to really do quite well. And um, congratulations. So you interviewed like 50 people. Did you find certain commonalities, commonalities or did you find everyone was different? I'm just curious. I mean, I know we might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but what was it like interviewing all those people? Well, it was fantastic to learn from them, first of all, because I think that in our culture, there's, I'll even call it a problem. There's a problem that in so many cases, when people are interviewed, they're presented as almost having always been famous, Mm -hmm. and we never hear the backstory of how they got there. And I think for a lot of people, that becomes alienating because they think, oh, well, they must have been successful because they're different than me. They, They just must be you know, cut from a different cloth. I couldn't do that. And I realized in doing these interviews that every single one of these people, I mean, you know, Seth Godin was not born famous. There were certain things he did to achieve the level of success that he had. And those are things that are replicable by other people. And I, I wanted to, first of all, just demolish the myth that that other, you know, that, that this kind of big success or thought leadership or breakthrough ideas is for someone besides me. Because I think that any of your listeners really can do this with the right kind of strategy. And so a few uh, you know, key things that I learned, you know, commonalities from all of these thinkers, um, what I realized is that uh, there are a number of different ways. I actually outlined five different ways that uh, that the experts came up with their breakthrough ideas. There's you know, multiple paths to that destination. But uh, one through line is that everyone I profiled, number one, they are known for their ideas. This is, if we kind of break down the concept of thought leadership, um, this is very different than the kind of modern definition of celebrity that a lot of people chase. Mm -hmm. These are thinkers who are known for their ideas and they're known to be people of substance. So the idea comes first, but a second and really necessary part of the thought leader equation is that these are not ivory tower thinkers. These are people who are literally rolling up their sleeves and working in the trenches at, you know, as marketers or whatever their profession is and spreading their ideas. We can't afford to just come up with an idea and assume that it's going to spread. We have to be willing to talk about it, to add value to other people, to evangelize about it, and to let the world know about it. And if we do that, that's how we can create the ideas that actually last and have resonance. You said something a little bit earlier that you don't need to be, you said Seth Godin wasn't born this way. You know, he wasn't born with these crazy creative ideas. And you kind of alluded that maybe there's some underlying fears that are going on in the heads of those of us that aspire to be 
um, successful or to be thought leaders. Talk to me, and maybe whether you wrote about this or not, but what what are your thoughts on what's stopping us from thinking that we can do what others have done? Well, I think it actually is is really common um, for for people to uh, almost disqualify themselves. I mean, this is something that Sheryl Sandberg talked a lot about in Lean In, specifically with regard to women in the workforce. But I don't I don't think it's just that. Um, I think that literally for for almost every professional, um, there is a narrative that sometimes go, goes on in people's heads, saying, "Oh, well, you know, the 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 reason that other people have uh, have been really successful." is they, they just must be different than me. And uh, if we look at the research of someone like Carol Dweck from Stanford, who's an education researcher, she has a really powerful framework to talk about this, which is what she calls a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And uh, specifically, she was looking at, at school kids and their learning patterns, but I think this absolutely applies to adults and professionals as well, which is that if you have a growth mindset, you figure, okay, well, if I'm not getting the results that I want right now, if I change what I'm doing or if I work harder or if I work differently, then I can get those results. It's just a question of effort. Mm. But a fixed mindset says, oh, well, you know, if I'm not getting good grades or, you know, if I'm not achieving the level of business success that I want, it must be because I'm not that smart or it must be because I'm not that good. And there's, you know, really nothing you can do to change that. And it, it leads to a, a level of, uh, of paralysis. I mean, you know, on the flip side, uh, you know, there's another variation of that, which is that if you want to think of yourself as smart, but you have a fixed mindset, you are going to be unwilling to take risks because those risks, if you fail, you will threaten your self-image as a smart person or as a competent, successful person. I think we all need to look at our mindset and, and be willing to interrogate it and say, do I have a growth mindset? Am I willing to to dive in and take those chances? Because yes, it is true. I'm not going to lie to you. Sharing ideas uh, is is a position of vulnerability. I mean, it's possible people won't like them. It's possible, you know, people might say, "Nah, that's not any good." But it is fundamentally an act of generosity. If you have ideas that you believe can help the world, whether it is a social cause or a business or an idea. It is, it is a generous act to do it, and it's something that can help you and can help the world. And I, I think we need to step up and be willing to do it because the people who are doing it now are not different than you and me. They are just willing to do something that is different, and th- you know that's, that's a key distinction. They, it's not that they are different. It's that they're doing something different that we all can do. Preach it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So now let's get back to this breakthrough idea thing. So you mentioned the word breakthrough idea a couple times. It's even in the subtitle of your book, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea. So um, why do we need a breakthrough idea? Let's start there. You know, What is a breakthrough idea and why do we need one in order to stand out? What are your thoughts on that? So the reason that I talk about a breakthrough idea is essentially this, this is about something something new and valuable that that you, and in fact, oftentimes only you, can contribute. Um, the reason that this is so important is that increasingly, and I, I think you know most people have seen this, we live in a getting more competitive, more globalized by the day. There is always, you know, from this point forward, there is always going to be someone who is willing to do work 
for less money than you. And, you know, I, I remember a decade ago when I was starting my business and, you know, I needed to get a website designed. And literally what you do is, you know, you go to the Chamber of Commerce mixer and you see, okay, who who around here in my town does websites? Okay, great. I pick you. You know, now you go on Elance or you go on, on Odesk and you get someone to do it for half the price from around the world. And, you know, that those pressures are everywhere. And as a result, increasingly, every single kind of professional is essentially being asked to justify whether, uh, you know, whether overtly or covertly, um, they have to justify why their company should continue to employ them and not someone else. And the, the, the best way and possibly the only way to do that is to establish your reputation as an expert. And I don't mean that everybody has to become a world expert in something. But what I do mean is that people need to, uh, to think about what they can be at least a local expert in. you be best in your company in? What is a unique thing that you can be known for so that when people um, think of you, they think, oh yeah, she's really great at that. And that's that's the reason to choose you. And it's um, it, it's something that, that you can do that's an investment in yourself and it protects your professional future. So if you are known for an idea or for a particular um, you know, skill that you are adding to the mix. Uh, that's that's really uh, something very powerful. I I don't know. You tell me if you think this is similar, but I, I often talk to a lot of people that desire to speak. You know, on one of our stages, and I've always used the phrase that there's generalists and there's specialists, and it seems like those that are generalists struggle to be successful because they tend to try to be a jack or jackie of all trades or of all things, where those people who choose a very particular specialty, for example, I am going to be the periscope expert, or I'm going to be the visual images expert, or I'm going to be how to use podcasts uh, for mechanics, you know, whatever, uh, expert, those tend to be quite successful, despite the fact that they are narrowing their their audience. Uh, Are we talking about the same thing here? Or are we not? Yeah, I think I think that you are spot on, Mike. Um, what I discovered in the course of interviewing these these top experts is that one I will say one of the easiest and one of the fastest and and best ways to develop a reputation as a recognized expert quickly is to pick a single day for the next two months. You wrote a blog post about Periscope. You know, you have 60 articles in two months, literally moving forward. Anytime a member of the news media is uh, is researching something, probably one of your articles is going to be one of the first ones that comes up. You're going to have an enormous volume of information uh, out there. And before long, you are going to start being called about that. And once you develop those re- those connections with the media... You're going to start being asked about broader stories about Twitter and broader stories about um, other aspects of social media. But it all started with that initial niche that you expanded outward from. So I think that's a great way to do it. However, you know the the uh, the caveat with this is that not everybody dispositionally is suited 
to being uh, a niche expert. And, uh, and I have to confess, I'm actually not uh, either. And so the good news is that there are multiple other strategies that people can use to, uh, to build an expert reputation. I mean, for, for me, constitutionally, I'm a little bit more of a, of a generalist. And so I, it just, it was too painful to, uh, <laughs> to, to choose a niche. And so actually what, what I ended up doing in a lot of ways was uh, my first book, Reinventing You, stemmed from a blog post that I wrote for the Harvard Business Review in 2010. Um, this, you know, it was not meant to be my statement for, for all mankind, uh, but I wrote this one blog post. It became popular. They asked me to turn it into a magazine piece for the Harvard Business Review, and from the magazine piece, I got approached by several literary agents who wanted to know if I would be interested in turning it into a book. And so in a lot of ways, that was me creating a ton of content, seeing what stuck, and then going with that thing, which felt a lot more organic to me. Um, but for, for people who are interested in pursuing a niche strategy, really effective and, uh, and definitely recommended. Awesome. So um, getting back to the concept of a breakthrough idea, can you share a couple of examples of businesses or people, perhaps people that you profile in your book um, that are standing out with a unique idea? Absolutely. So one of the strategies, especially for, for people who are not so enamored of, uh, of diving into a niche, um, one of the strategies that is very effective for developing an expert rep- reputation and, uh, and, and really coming up with something new is combining disciplines, sort of doing a mashup. And so, you know, to cite one example that'll probably be familiar to a lot of your listeners, um, one of the people that I interviewed and profiled was Eric Reese, the author of The Lean Startup. And, you know, this is somebody who, uh, you know, became a best-selling author, um, has hugely impacted the world of, uh, of startups and entrepreneurship. And, the, you know, the really interesting thing is that when he was looking for a way to improve the way that startups functioned, you know, how do you solve the, this, this question of, you know, making startups, um, you know, more, more effective? How do you get fewer of them to fail? Which is a pretty important question. He looked to a source that a lot of people would have thought was utterly bizarre. He looked to the factory floor of automotive manufacturing techniques. I mean, that's where... That's where Lean comes from. It was pioneered by Toyota. It was about factory processes from the industrial era. And yet, he was able to create a synthesis where he brought together elements from the two fields to create something very new and a powerful new lens to look at entrepreneurship. And so bringing together two disparate elements uh, is another way that you can be really um, you know, powerful in, in terms of your idea creation. Hey, let me, let me pause you there for a second. So, so just coming up with the idea probably wasn't all that he did. I mean, what else did he do to stand out other than just combine lean manufacturing with the startup phraseology and come up with lean startups? You know, he must have done more, right, to actually stand out. He did. And in fact, um, you know, it's, it's a perfect case study in a lot of ways because um, what, what he did next when he came up with the idea was he started blogging about it. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, this is, this is something that, that you uh, certainly talk about a lot is, uh, is the importance of content creation. Right. And uh, so, so Eric Ries started a blog anonymously actually at first and then under his own name, um, spreading the ideas. Because when you have an idea, 
you have to make yourself findable by like-minded people. You you have to enable discoverability. Otherwise, it is not going to spread. You have to build your audience by sharing that idea very freely. And so he did that for for you know quite a period of time, built up an audience, built up interest. As a result of the blog becoming popular, he got a book contract and you know the book spread it even further. And so you know, then the the next step, the kind of final step that took it into the stratosphere, is he was building his audience, um, and then his audience became a community. And what I mean by that is that for the very best ideas, um, you reach a t- tipping point. Where instead of you being the one who's talking to you know to everybody else, you you know, there's only so many people you can talk to, no matter how big your megaphone is. But where when an idea really catches fire is when your audience members like it enough, believe in it enough, and find it useful enough that they start talking to each other and communicating with each other, which is something that social media really enables in a big way. And so to date, there are literally there are 750,000 people around the world who are signed up for lean startup meetups in 81 different countries. Wow. I mean, these are, yeah, these are places that Eric Reese could never travel to on his own. I mean, he couldn't be speaking to all these groups, but because his idea was useful, I mean, this is kind of the lens we have to ask, is it useful to someone besides just yourself? And because it was, he was able to build a community that's enabled it to spread. That's really cool. And it took on a life of its own, and and he created essentially a movement, didn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's incredibly powerful. Can you give one more example of uh, of an idea um, that you know has worked its way into not necessarily something quite as elaborate as what we just talked about, but maybe one other example? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's a lot of really good ones, um, but you know, one uh, one thing that I'll mention, I, I was alluding earlier to uh, to Sheryl Sandberg and uh, and Lean In. You know, that's that's another uh, good example of someone who uh, who took uh, you know a, a public platform. She you know she started out this whole idea um, with a speech. She gave a TED talk about this issue. Wrote a book. Um, you know, content creation and sharing the idea is always a crucial part of spreading your idea. R- and- yeah, remind us what the idea was again? So the idea for Lean In is basically uh, a call to action that that women should not be afraid to step up and volunteer for more responsibility or ask for more responsibility or raises, et cetera, at work. Mm. That, that too often they're, they're sort of leaning back and saying, oh gosh, I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know if I should do it. And Sheryl Sandberg says, no sister, you can do it. <laughs> and gotcha. so- the the thing that's that's powerful here is that you know there's a lot of executives that write very self congratulatory biographies about themselves and you know they get published and they get forgotten and no one is really that interested but because she made the book about a cause or an idea that was bigger than herself it it caught on in such a way that you know now there's there's lean in circles at organizations and corporations worldwide people you know are literally having book groups and meetings because they see themselves in it and so if you can if you can find a way to create something useful. I mean, it, it you know it could be about a, a social cause like that, but it, you know whether it's uh, you know Eric Reese helping startup entrepreneurs find better ways to do business, whether it's David Allen, uh, who whom I interviewed and profiled, uh, helping people uh, become more productive. I mean, they have huge getting things done communities around the world. It's something that people say that has value to me. Very cool. So um, 
this does beg the question. All right. There's a lot of ideas floating around in my head and I'm speaking on behalf of everyone that's listening right now. Where do I start? You know, how do I know whether or not idea X out of the many different ideas that, that I dream about at night or that I think about when I'm driving in the car are, are the ideas that I should focus on? Yeah. So this is a, a place where something that I've found is really crucial in the process of coming up with your idea and spreading it is actually turning to your trusted network. And in fact, when it comes to spreading your idea overall, the step that comes even before building your audience or building your community, as we talked about with with Eric Reese, is building your network, your one-to-one connections. And the reason this is so critical is that before you you throw your idea out to the wider world and share it, you want to make sure that it's in good enough shape so that it can actually get an honest and fair hearing. By the way, for those that are listening right now, we have had technical difficulties, so um, Dory's uh, audio will sound a little different than it did a minute ago, but hey, that's part of the the world of podcasting, so we roll with it. So Dory, I'm going to ask this question. Um, for those of us that have ideas in our head and we have no clue which one to focus on, um, talk to me a little about, you know, where do we start? One of the best starting places, Mike, is going to your own trusted personal board of directors. Uh, you, you know, you could call them mastermind groups. You could just call them your, uh, your confidants. But the, the reason that these folks are so essential is that too often um, what, what happens is that people will just come up with an idea and decide, oh, I'm going to just throw it out there and see if it sticks and see how people respond to it. And the problem with that is that sometimes if the idea is too unformed, if it is in too raw of a state, uh, it'll get shot down by the marketplace and people just say, oh, okay, well, I guess that didn't work. I guess that was a bad idea. And the truth is, with just a you know 5% tweak or a 10% tweak, it might have been something that really resonated. And so getting feedback, honest feedback, from a, a close group of people whose opinions you respect and who are essentially a, a curated cross-section of the folks you're trying to reach uh, can be very valuable both in terms of getting advice and getting support, but also helping to make sure that when you are putting your ideas out there, they are, I mean, they don't have to be perfect for sure, but they should be in a good enough state so that when the the market evaluates them, uh, they can make an honest decision uh, and an honest rendering rather than prematurely saying, oh, I guess that was a bad idea and giving up. So talk to me a little bit about how this might work. Maybe maybe if you did it yourself, how you did it or how others have done it. Because um, like I can imagine just saying to my Facebook friends, hey, should I write my next book? Of course, they're all going to say yes. Um, so maybe let's put a little meat on the bones here. Like, like how do we present this idea or what kind of homework should we have done before we present this idea to this trusted community that we have? One of the the most important things here is that it should be a small group of people. If you are, I mean, you know, there there is wisdom in crowds for sure. And so if you are trying to figure out uh, a question where you need to get lots of people's opinion, hey, you know, which cover do you like better for my next book, A or B, um, then it's great to put that out on Facebook and let, you know, 50 or 100 people vote. And then you can say, okay, yes, the yellow one, great. Um, But for a lot of these ideas, we are talking about depth rather than breadth. And so um, one person who actually profile in Standout is a woman named Carvey Anderson, 
who I think is really an exemplar of this. She has two mastermind groups that she has operated, and one of them was founded in 1989, and the other has been operating since 1994. So literally 20 and 25 years she has been uh, doing this with the same people, and they have been meeting every single month. And it's, it's just absolutely dramatic. I mean, most professionals don't have anything close to that, but um, the, the fact that she's been able to do it, she says that literally this is one of the most important professional experiences of her life because she's been able to cultivate such a relationship of trust with these people that she knows 100% that they know her, that they have her best interests at heart, and when they are offering advice to her, uh, it, it, it comes with the, you know, both caring that's necessary, but also the experience to know what is the right advice for her. And that kind of reciprocity when you're dealing with a, you know, a small group of people that you really trust is powerful because too many of us live in a world where, you know, j- just because it's easy, we'll respond to the person who says, oh, you know, let's have coffee. And you're, you're saying yes, just because they asked, but we're not making the proactive effort to reach out to the people who really matter to us and who we want to be spending time with. And so just restructuring our lives a little bit so that we can be uh, just a bit more proactive. You know, who do you want to spend time with? Who do you want to surround yourself with? Making those few small tweaks can actually have dramatic impacts on our overall effectiveness, our productivity, and our ability to generate good ideas. You know, and I want to just camp out here for a second because I belong to a mastermind group. There's six of us in the group, and we've been meeting every week for two and a half years. And um, we know each other extremely well. And these guys that are in this group, and it's all guys in this particular case, you know, we all share certain things in common. We're all business owners. We all are podcasters. And we help each other when we are in struggles of any aspect of our life. But we also throw ideas across the bow at each other when we're thinking about doing something really new and exciting. And I can tell you that there is wisdom in these small groups and participating in these small groups. Now, the flip side of this is something that I'm sure, Dory, you can relate to, and I know that I've had this struggle, where you're, you meet someone somewhere, and for whatever reason, they impress you. And you talk to them, and they tell you that what you just said to them was a really good idea, or they tell you something that might skew or sway your opinion. And I want to tell everybody, you have to be very careful about letting the opinion, whether it be strong or not, of one person... Um, you know, make you be enough research, if you will, be enough justification to go down this course or go down that course, because I've been doing this for almost 20 years and I've made a lot of mistakes. And one thing that I've learned is that you have to be very careful about listening to the advice of just one person. I don't know, Dory, what your thoughts are on this. No, that's, that's exactly right. Um, you can, you can get whipsawed if you are listening to, uh, you know, to, to one person, uh, and they, they tell you, oh, you should definitely go in this direction. And if you follow that, uh, it, it may potentially lead you uh, off course. And, of, of course, even, even worse is if you're, uh, if you're almost like an idea serial monogamist and you listen to one person and then you listen to the next person. I used to work in politics. Uh, I, you know, I, I mentioned I was a spokesperson on a presidential campaign. And one of the challenges that, uh, that a lot of times people face with candidates, um, you know, particularly certain candidates are, are known for this, is um, that they talk to different advisors. 
and they get their heads turned about, oh, we should be doing this, we should be doing that. And it, it really creates strategic chaos. You don't need that in your life. Um, what is really essential here is you don't want to take in unsolicited advice. You want to only get advice from the people that you have pre-vetted and, and say, okay, these people over time have shown wise judgment that, uh, and, and an understanding of me so that they know what is appropriate advice for me rather than just a, a kind of cookie-cutter prescription. If you have those criteria, then their, their wisdom can be really valuable to you. Absolutely. And, you know, this leads me to my next question, which is research. Um, I, <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes. Anybody that listens to this podcast, sometimes I speak publicly about the mistakes and investments that I've made that have not worked out. But um, one thing that I have found that is really valuable is actually doing research. And one of the things you talk about in your book is providing new research. And this was one of the ways you talked about that you can stand out is if you can do new research, you, you really do have an opportunity to kind of fast track your ability to, to stand out. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by new research? Definitely. So this is, this is an area um, where, particularly for people who uh, you know, may be struggling with this idea of, oh gosh, you know, I don't really want to niche down. That's not really my thing. Research can be a place where you you can excel in terms of your ideas. And the, the basic idea here is that in the Internet era, it, you know, everyone has an opinion. Everybody's, you know, wanting to sort of spout off secondhand about, you know, what they think about this news story or what they think about that report. But what is in much more short supply is actual original research and fact. If you can create that, you actually have a tremendous strategic advantage because you are going to be the content that everyone else is off of. You are going to have your ideas talked about. And research can take a lot of different formats. I mean, sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, I, I'm not, you know, a data scientist. I can't, uh, you know, take 20 million tweets and analyze word patterns or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's fine. If people can do that, that's great original research and can be uh, really fascinating. But original research can also take many other forms. It can be case studies. It can be white papers. It can be direct interviews that you conduct like a journalist with experts. Or in the case of uh, Michael Waxenberg, who's a guy that I profile in my book, Stand Out, he was an IT manager for a financial services company. He and his family, um, decide, they were deciding whether to buy an apartment. And so he started going to all these open houses uh, in New York on the Upper West Side where he lived. And he found a website uh, talking about real estate. And people were starting to post reviews of different properties there. But they were all these kind of, you know, crappy, half-hearted reviews. You know, people weren't really trying or whatever. And this was a very uh, intense, data-driven guy. So he decided that it really, more, more than anything, to keep track of the properties for himself, he would write up reviews, very detailed ones, and post them on the website. And he did this so thoroughly and to such an impressive degree, he started to get people pinging him saying, I love your reviews on the site. Will you represent me? Will you be my realtor? And the only problem was he, he wasn't a realtor. This was absolutely a hobby for him. But he got so many requests that eventually uh, a guy who actually was a real estate agent with his own agency reached out to Michael and said, look, if you haven't, if you haven't taken the, the class yet, if you haven't taken the test, I will sponsor you to become a realtor because you already have a client base. Mm. So Michael did it and became a realtor part-time and has uh, created a very lucrative second career for himself 
with no marketing whatsoever required because he has a constant stream of clients who come to him based on his real estate reviews and then the second generation referrals to those customers. That's an awesome story. And I will share another story that some people that are longtime listeners may be familiar with. But uh, before I started Social Media Examiner, I started something called the Social Media Marketing Industry Survey. And I surveyed thousands of people about their usage patterns of social media. And I looked at things like which social networks are you using? How much time are you spending? How many hours a week do you spend on social media? How many years have you been doing it? And then over time, I began asking questions like, will you increase, decrease, or stay the same on your usage for the next year on these social networks? And before you know it, we're coming out with our seventh annual social media marketing industry report. It's downloaded hundreds of thousands of times every year. We're written about in every major publication you can imagine, including the Wall Street Journal. And it's become kind of the industry trade research document that everybody uh, points to. And it essentially was one of the key things that helped get Social Media Examiner off the ground. So I am a huge proponent of research. And I think when done right, it helps that I've got a master's degree in speech and I knew how to do research because I was submitting journal articles back in the day. You know, But um, there's people out there that can do this kind of analysis for you. I mean, and all you really need is someone to design a really good survey and do the analysis. Um, at least that's my take. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think that's a, a fantastic example. And you're, you're exactly right. Um, what people are looking for is, is real information. And whether you're doing it um, you know, through qualitative or quantitative methods, if, if you can create something that's actually interesting and valuable and new for people, uh, that is something that almost inherently is going to be talked about. Well, we have just scratched the surface story of uh, your new book, uh, Stand Out How uh, let me see here. Hold on. Uh, here we go. Stand out how to find your breakthrough ideas and build a following around it. And I know a lot of people that are listening truly do want to stand out. So tell everyone who's listening right now, where can they discover more about you, Dory Clark, and where can they discover more about your book? Mike, thank you. Well, for folks who are interested in finding their own breakthrough idea and building a following around it, I actually created a free 42-page workbook that's adapted from Standout. And uh, it's literally, it's 139 questions um, walking you through step-by-step process of coming up with your own ideas and spreading them. And that's available on my website, doryclark.com, which is D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. And uh, if folks are interested in more information, um, I have more than 400 free articles also on my website. I'm on Twitter at Dory Clark, and the books are Reinventing You and Stand Out. And I do recommend everybody get a copy of of, um, her latest book. Dory's latest book, Stand Out. It is not a super complicated book. I mean, it's it's a, it's a really nice book. I would imagine you could probably get through it in a couple of days. And it's written in a, in a really easy-to-read style. So, Dory, on behalf of everyone who's listening right now, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Mike, thanks so much for having me. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's show. If there was anything that we mentioned and that you missed, don't worry. We take all the show notes for you. You can visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 146, stands for episode 146, to see all the notes, leave your comments, figure out how to interact with Dory. And also, I want to let you know that if you're new to the show, please hit that subscribe button. This is free show. You don't want to ever miss a future episode. Get that downloaded into your podcast player of choice. Also, if you've not already done so, please help get the word out, socialmediaexaminer.com 
slash love shares on Twitter that you recommend this show. Well, this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.